Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. This is People Every Day. Coming up, taking you on the ground in Tokyo, breaking down the latest on Simone Biles, Naomi Osaka, and more Olympic stories with our team that's there. Plus, actress Mina Suvari's shocking new memoir, detailing the abuse and addiction that almost cost her her life. It's July 27th. Hey folks, this is People Every Day. It's me, Janine Rubenstein, and it is Tuesday, a nice and toasty Tuesday outside where I am in the world. I'm going to try and get a little sunshine in today. Uh, Later in the show, my colleague Liz McNeil takes me through her sit down with actress Mina Suvari, probably best known for her 90s hit movies, American Beauty and American Pie. So stay tuned for that. She goes deep. But right now, let's jump into what is top of mind for me, because it is on nonstop in my house right now, and that's Tokyo. The Olympics are well underway. Medals for the U.S. have already started to roll in, but Geez Louise, some shocking news has come out of these games. Simone Biles, the GOAT, has pulled out of the women's gymnastics team competition, citing issues surrounding her mental health. And Japan's Naomi Osaka has been defeated and will not earn a medal. Just huge, sad surprises from the biggest names in the games and so much more to get into. So joining me to do that for what I'm calling our Olympic news sprint is People's Sports Editor Lindsay Kimball, who is off and running on the ground in Tokyo. Hi, Lindsay. Hello. How are you? Or konnichiwa, I guess I should say. Yes, thanks. Well, it's pretty late there for you. Thanks so much for braving the time difference to talk to me. (laughs) Of course. Of course. We've been kind of running on fumes over here between all the different venues. So we're used to it at this point. Oh, nice. So major news is coming out of Tokyo today. Among the biggest headlines, of course, Simone Biles pulled out of the women's Olympic gymnastics team final. This is heartbreaking for her team and her fans alike. The team ended up taking silver in the competition, which is the first time in a decade that they haven't come out on top. Right. So, I mean, take me into what happened. Yeah, it was kind of uh, stunning. And uh, people's Adam Carlson and Kara Mizuguchi were actually at the event as it unfolded. Simone did her vault and was attempting the Yurchenko double pike. And while in the air, instead did uh, Yurchenko one and a half um, and then landed kind of funny, fell out of her landing. And it was clear that something was off. And then she immediately was talking to a team trainer and then exited the venue. Then when she came back in, it looked like she was wrapped and her wrists were wrapped and ready to go. And next thing we knew, she was suiting up. Uh, So there was a lot of confusion. And then the gymnastics rep um, put out a statement saying that 
there was a health issue with Simone. She wasn't going to be participating in the rest of the event. Wow. And uh, they were going to take it day by day as far as future events because she still has five more events. Yeah. So it's the team. She's out of the team or was out of the team. That happened already. Um, they, they got silver. And I saw some, you know, little video of her telling the team, like, you guys got this. Like, you're going to be good. So she was still kind of there to support them. But uh, do we know if it is, in fact, health or mental health? Because that's been talked about as well. And it's something that she's been talking about or a bit of both. Yeah, uh, I think at first everyone thought uh, maybe it was her ankle. It, it had come out a couple of weeks ago that she had had some ankle problems recently. But then afterwards in the press conference, she told reporters that she's been struggling internally. She's dealing with a lot of emotions. She feels a lot of pressure. I just felt like it would be a little bit better to take a backseat, work on my mindfulness. And I knew that the girls would do an absolutely great job. And I didn't want to risk the team a medal for uh, kind of my screw ups because they've worked way too hard for that. So I just decided that those girls need to go in and do the rest of the competition. She feels like she's the face of the Olympic Games and there's so much pressure that comes with that. So it has become a mental health thing. And in the moment, she felt like she could not compete at her highest level and that She said she felt like she'd be dragging the team down and it was better for her to step aside and let the three other talented gymnasts kind of take the lead. She needed to just kind of get herself right and focus on her mental wellness. And they said that she's going to do that. She has kind of like a morning off tomorrow to do that. And they're going to get her some professional help um, to make sure everything's okay. She also brought up Naomi Osaka, who we know has been super candid and outspoken about her own mental health and seeing her as kind of an inspiration for this. Wow. Okay. So it feels like we've turned a corner this year. The mental health of athletes continues to be, you know, bubbling up in the news. Dr. Jessica Bartley, who is the director of mental Health Services of the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee said it's really unclear if athletes struggle more or less than the general population. They just struggle differently because of the things put in front of them. And I just think that there were more things put in front of them this year. So so what are you seeing on the ground? Like, is there this sense that athletes are struggling? I mean, we all are, I guess, in this, you know, mid pandemic world that we're living in. But how has that uniquely affected the athletic community. I think it's been super interesting today in particular. There was a lot of upsets um, or surprises as far as how athletes performed from Team USA. Mm. Um, well, we've had a lot of positive surprises, people getting gold that we didn't expect. Um, you know, we had two U.S. swimmers who hold the world records in their event get bronze in these events today. So there's been some surprises and they've all been kind of candid about this and talking about this in the press conferences and in the, in the media scrums saying, you know, that one year delay was so daunting for some people. And, and, and beyond that, there was also a lot of challenges for their training. Uh, We were talking to this young swimmer, Lydia, who got gold in the hundred meter breaststroke and she lives in Alaska and they have one pool and the pool shut down for two months. Lydia Jacoby. I watched that last night and it was so awesome just to see her family and friends back home, like oh just God, losing so it. Excited. The they greatest. lost their mind. Yes. So she, there's only one pool there, first of all, and it's 25 meters. It's not 50 meters. And they had to move to Anchorage, Alaska, just so she could train. So, you know, we're talking about 
the usual odds that these athletes are dealing with and then being unable to train normally, having to adjust your training schedule to add for another year, general aging, all those things. All of it. Yeah, it, it's hard. I can't imagine. And 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 for Simone Biles, I think, you know, the pressure is just unreal. I mean, it, same goes for you brought it up, uh, Naomi Osaka. So let's let's let everyone know what specifically happened in her match. Yeah. Uh, Naomi was in her third round match today and she lost she said afterwards that she just didn't play well and she made a lot of mistakes and she didn't really know what got into her she admitted that you know there was a lot of pressure representing the host country of Japan after she just lit the Olympic cauldron and she said she wasn't happy with how she played she didn't feel good with her performance. I mean, she fell to an unseated uh, opponent. So it was kind of a huge upset and very shocking. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. She said before, just before that loss, she she gave the statement that I know these are the best players in the world. And honestly, I haven't played in a while. So I'm trying to take it one notch at a time. All in all, I'm just really happy to be here. She continued. And, and she said, I haven't been in Tokyo for a couple years. So Oh, my goodness. Like my just hats off to every single one of them. I do want to get into some more of those successes. You talked about um, Jacoby, but there was an Olympic fencer that I got to watch that I was so excited for. Right. Lee Kiefer uh, made history winning gold in women's individual foil has never been done before. What were some of the, the the up notes, the positive beats that that you have coming out of? And I think you you talked you guys talked to um, a skateboarder as well who who meddled yeah we talked to jagger eaton um he got bronze in street skateboarding and this is the first time skateboarding's ever been an olympic sport so it's super exciting he's 20 years old really charismatic um his parents are actually both gymnasts so he grew up with kind of this athletic realm around him from his parents. Um, interestingly enough, he had his phone in his pocket and his headphones on while he was skating. Oh, yeah. Everyone kind of was like, you're at an Olympic <laughs> event and you've got music playing. So, of course, you we interviewed him, you. we asked him what he was listening to. And he said he loves a mix of country and hip hop. It kind of gets him going. And now he is a bronze medalist. So, so cool. So, Lindsay, what's on your docket? I know you have to go. It is so late there. But what's on your docket for tomorrow? And what are you looking forward to? Lots of fun continues. We'll be back at the swimming tomorrow to watch the Americans continue to dominate as we always do in swimming. (laughs) We're going to be at diving um, and then men's gymnastics continues tomorrow night. So we've got a full slate of fun things to keep our eyes on. And then later this week, track and field finally starts. So we're super excited to see Allison Felix get in the mix and uh, cheer on our track and field athletes. Next up, People's East Coast News Editor Liz McNeil on actress Mina Suvari's soul-bearing new memoir about abuse, addiction, and finding a way forward. Stick around. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. 
Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. I am here now with People's Liz McNeil to talk about actress and model Mina Suvari's bombshell new book, The Great Peace, a memoir. It is out today, but People got an exclusive look at it before it was published, and there is a lot to unpack. So Liz is an expert and did this interview, and she's here with me now. Hi, Liz. Hi, Janine. You interviewed Mina for the magazine, and within the first page, we hear just three real bombshells. I mean, this is Mina Savari. Of course, we know her from a lot of things, TV and films. But I mean, American Pie and American Beauty, I think, are the biggest um, that we can just recall, conjure her face immediately. And in this book, we are learning so much more about that period and things that have, you know, just she had to deal with her entire life. So she talks about being raped by her older brother's friend when she was just 12 and also feeling pressured um, when she first entered the the industry to have sex with her first manager um, and, and so many other abusive boyfriends, all of this. Like, so talk about just the sense of pure loss that she says she experienced and how much of a shock this is to someone who's been following her career. Yes. You know, it's a heartbreaking book to read. There's also hope at the end, but when you learn what she lived through as a young girl, so when she's just a month shy of 13, uh, an older boy uh, who's about three years older than her rapes her in a, in a room uh, in his parents' home, and she talks afterwards <sighs> about uh, feeling part of me died that day. And, and in one of the most heartbreaking parts, she said she wondered if somehow she felt re- responsible, or if she was somehow responsible, as if it was her. And she writes, she says, somehow she wondered if that was her value, if that was how she would be seen in the world. And then she, three years later, she moves to Los Angeles to try acting, commercial work. And, uh, one of her first managers, um, sort of coerces her into a sexual relationship. And she talked about not even feeling like she could say no. Uh, That's that power dynamic. Yeah. Absolutely. And also this was somebody that she looked at as her protector, as somebody who was Mm. there for her, who at the same time is uh, driving her to appointments, to, to auditions. So it was a real complicated dynamic. And then from there, um, she meets a very, there's a very abusive boyfriend that she's involved with for about three years. And the relationship starts when she's 17. And as she says in her memoir, from the age of 12 to the age of 20, she was in various relationships that involved sexual abuse. And these are the kinds of things, right, that we don't, people don't talk about. It's very difficult to be open about. Um, but she really wanted to share her story for others to know that that they're not alone because she felt so alone for so long. Yeah. 
Yeah. So so what do we know about her life in the year or two leading up to American Beauty? I, I was struck by a few things she said about that film, though. She said it felt easy in a way because she was used to feeling like an object of someone's obsession. And then the second thing uh, that really hit home was was the degree to which she says the movie saved her life. So those are almost contradictory, but I can I, I see where she's coming from. So talk about just what this this film meant to her. And for her. So it's that it's a complicated dynamic to unpack because she says when she's auditioning for the role, oh, you want me to play uh, the uh, uh, the object of a middle aged man's obsession? She's like, I know that. I know that role. Older men had been in some ways preying on her for for years. And at the same time, what's really happening in her personal life is she's in a very abusive relationship. So actually mm-hmm. going to the set, she talks a lot about finding normalcy and solace on the set. She had a very good experience wow. working with Annette Benning, um, Sam Mendes, the director, Kevin Spacey. It was a, you know, it was a creative outlet for her. So I think during the day, this is, this is normal because she's not being abused. She's being, it's positive. And then. At night, she goes home to her this other life, right? This much darker life, mm. where she and one in which she doesn't know how to how to escape from. And so, so Savari also spoke about her relationship, as you say, with Kevin Spacey, and that that was a good relationship. She had a lot of fondness for him, and what it was like to learn of the abuse allegations that he has faced in recent years. So, what did she say about that? Right, that's another complicated dynamic because the. Movie, which was made over 20 years ago, it was a good experience for her. She was treated well. It felt normal. And uh, she did have the, an unusual encounter with him one day before one of their intimate scenes. She writes about it in the book where they lay down on a bed beforehand just to kind of prepare. She doesn't really know what's happening. He sort of looks deeply into her eyes. She sees it now as just being preparation for the scene that was to come. But years later, when she learns about the abuse allegations, you know, makes her think of it again. And of course, this is Mina has also been uh, she's also a survivor of sexual abuse. And she talks a lot about that her heart broke, you know, when she read these stories. And I think more than anything, she said how how much strength you have to have, how much courage it takes to come forward. I mean, when you even look at her own story, right, it took her she's 42 years old now. Wow. And and so it, this also makes me think of just how quickly, um, at least we used to, and some people still do, judge people who are struggling. And she has been open about drug abuse as well, right? And you just don't know all of the different things, the hurdles that people have gone through um, that may have pushed them to that point. So what did she talk about that and, and how she overcame that struggle? Right. It's such a good point to remember that, you know, you the truth is, and I think you learn this over and over again, our business, you never know what someone is going through. So she was using drugs to numb the pain. So a lot of her uh, drug abuse started when the abusive behavior began when she was in high school. She started smoking pot. Then she kind of gets involved in the rave scene, uh, going to concerts, a lot of drugging, a lot of kind of like zoning out, numbing out. It took a while, of course, to you know, to get healthy again. But she had, when she broke free from the three-year very abusive relationship that started when she was 17 in her first marriage um, that followed soon after that, that person was kind to her, helped her, you know, find a new way 
stop taking drugs, starting to get clean eventually. I think all of these things, finding a healthy relationship helped her find, you know, realize that she had to also break free from drugs and shouldn't have to numb out. Nice, nice. And and so I, I think with celebrity memoirs, it often reads, you know, like some explosive and, and sordid story. But this isn't that, though. It's about a, a real journey of, of healing and a woman who has come into herself. So how is Mina now? What's what's she feeling like? How who is she with and, and what's next for her? Uh, you know, Mina is a really brave, courageous soul and she is married. It's her third marriage. She's a new mom to baby Christopher. And uh, she met a guy uh, named Mike Hope, of all things, and um, <laughs> on the on the set. And I think she never thought she would marry again. She didn't think she was going to become a mom. And she she's kind of learning along with her baby. She talked about learning how to be a mother, learning, you know, uh, to listen to her. Um, I think her next big project, she's going to play Jane Wyman, of all things, to Dennis Quaid's Ronald Reagan. There's a bio coming up, uh, which I think will be her next big project. And I think she really wants to make a difference. And she talks a lot in the book about how there's this feeling with abuse victims of where where people often blame themselves. Like, did I do something wrong? Did I do something to bring it on? So she's sort of writing the book yeah. so that people know that, okay, you're, you're not alone because she felt so alone for so long. So she's brave and I, and she, you know, she really wants to make a difference and that's why she's sharing her story. And um, I thought she was a really incredibly brave, courageous woman. That was People's East Coast News Editor Liz McNeil discussing Mina Suvari's book, The Great Peace. For more on that, head over to People.com. And now, I'll take something to make you smile for 300, LeVar. <laughs> After an online petition that garnered over 250,000 signatures from fans around the world, beloved Reading Rainbow host LeVar Burton just made his Jeopardy! guest host debut on Monday. The show, formerly hosted by the late Alex Trebek has had different hosts cycling through since his passing, and it's been on LeVar's wish list to get a shot at the gig. As a longtime viewer of the show, I am thrilled to have the opportunity to guest host Jeopardy. And I'm proud to be here to honor Alex's legacy. And I'm going to do my best to ensure that these talented Jeopardy contestants enjoy their moment here as well. Burton will host the show through Friday, July 30th. I signed the first petition, so just let me know where the next one is to bring him back. (laughs) All right, talk to you all tomorrow. Tomorrow. 